Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Time to head down to Atlanta. Joining us now from WSB Channel 2, the ABC affiliate in Atlanta, it is Zach Klein. Zach, we had you on, of course, before the Celtics and the Hawks playoff series, which ended up being more entertaining than I think Mm -hmm. we thought. But now, maybe Bill Belichick is going to Atlanta. How are you, man? I'm well, Double B. It's your world. I'm just living in it. Uh, It's great to be back, man. Yeah, crazy times here in Atlanta with uh, the Bill Belichick you know, continuing a storm just uh, hitting us every single day from so many different directions. All right. So let's start with this because you've been all over this story. So it felt like when Belichick parted ways with the Patriots, he had this press conference with Robert Kraft. It felt like they both thought, hey, Bill's got something lined up. Not that they came out and said that, but it felt that way. Robert basically said wherever he's coaching, he mentioned coaching next year. And so originally it comes out, Arthur Blank's number one target is Bill Belichick. He's already had two meetings with the organization, right? They flew him down in the private jet and all that. But you had some really interesting reporting on Rich McKay, the CEO of the Falcons. So what have you learned about this situation and sort of the dynamic with the Falcons that maybe Arthur Blank wants them, but maybe not everybody else within the organization wants, Bill? Team owner Arthur Blank has been infatuated with the idea of Bill Belichick and what he represents in the culture of New England since he bought the team back in 2002 and over the last what quarter century we have seen success year after year after year including the most heartbreaking loss in super bowl history arthur on the sidelines having that 28-3 lead and i saw him after the game and i described people after the patriots came back to beat the falcons in houston if you ever wanted to see someone who just saw a ufo but didn't think they saw a ufo but actually saw it that was the look of disbelief (laughs) In his in, in his frame, in his being, going from on the sidelines cheering to walking away. So from that moment, and the Patriots continuing to troll them. Remember, I think they had 283 diamonds and rubies and sapphires yeah. in the ring. To I mean, every single thing. You, so here's a guy. Someone put a, a great analogy to me. It was like, imagine there was a, a girl or a guy that you always had the, the hots for. And you always dated. And you always, or didn't date, but always respected. And you saw he or she at a dance and you saw this person come to prominence and you always had this unbelievable view of them from the outside, but you never thought you would get together. Right. And now blank had never thought it would in his wildest dreams that he could possibly have Bill Belichick be the coach of the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons have been irrelevant since 2017. That was the last year they went to the playoffs. They lost to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles on their way to the Super Bowl, And that's it. 
They haven't been back to the playoffs since. And now Arthur can take that lady to the dance, so to speak, and, and, and wine and dine and have that instant credibility with Bill Belichick brings. That's what Arthur wants. He's 81 years old, guys, and he wants to win right now. His window of opportunity is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. His number one choice from the jump was Bill Belichick. But what do you get when you bring in Bill Belichick? He's going to torch the entire building. Every single thing that the franchise has built up, Terry Fontenot, success, we can get into that in a little bit, from nutrition to the weight program to the hierarchy of things that are made up, it's gone. So what's Bill's shelf life in Atlanta? I- I've told three years, four max, and then what? What, what? What's the succession plan? And is this what you want to do now for three or four years down the road? And all of a sudden, he's like, well, I mean, I- am I willing to do that? So you got all these guys in his ear. Obviously, they're protecting their jobs. They want to continue to work and get paid, right? But they've also done a really good job, you know, from the scouting department to the personnel department, and they're gone. So what's that plan? What does that look like? I've heard from so many people be around the league that say Arthur Blank is panicking. He's in total disarray. He doesn't know what to do. It's embarrassing because it is a wide open search, but his number one choice is Belichick. But he doesn't know if he wants everything that goes along with bringing Belichick to town. Well, and you mentioned Rich McKay, too, there in yeah. your reporting. So is this a situation where McKay, who you mentioned in a tweet earlier today, has been longtime friends with Arthur Blank? He's the CEO of the Falcons. Would he leave the organization if Bill was with hired? thousand percent. So what I've been told mm-hmm. from numerous guys around the league, there's zero chance Belichick works with Terry Fontenot and Rich McKay and uh, the owner, Arthur Blank, and meets with them. So for 20-something years, every single Monday, Arthur Blank has met with his head coach. Is Bill Belichick going to meet with his head coach? Or, I mean, his owner, rather, after a game on Sunday? Belichick's not doing that. So this is where Rich McKay comes in. He is his closest confidant. Of course, Rich McKay from uh, the legendary McVeigh, or sorry, uh, yeah, Rich McKay from that family, where John was the, remember, his his father, the first ever coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was the legendary USC coach. So uh, Rich McKay, I think I said McVeigh, I'm mixing up. Sean McVay used to be here in Atlanta. Rich McKay has been involved in the National Football League since basically he can remember, since he was born, right? He's been involved in an official capacity, Rich McKay has, for 30 years. He was one of Arthur Blank's first hire. So as Arthur gets older and older, his capacity for going to all these lengthy meetings, he just doesn't want to do that anymore. So Rich McKay is his right-hand man, and it's been that from the jump. McKay goes to the owners' meetings. He's that chairs the competition committee. He's the longest-serving member of that competition committee, more than two decades in that role, one of the most prestigious positions in all the NFL. He's got ties everywhere. So he goes to the meetings, and then he comes back and reports to the boss. Hey, Arthur, this is what you need to know, blah, 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 blah. And Arthur loves that, uh, that friendship, that trust. That bond that these two have, again, they've been together from the jump. He was his first general manager. Then he got his president. And then he was in charge of building Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Brought the Super Bowl to town. So Rich McKay has done so many amazing things. Arthur doesn't want to hear with the day-to-day. He doesn't want to know what's going on there. He sends Rich to do that and then come back and report to him. So that bond is there. Arthur, that's all he knows. For 20-something years, all he knows is Rich McKay reporting to him, not only from the league side, but from the team side. And if Belichick comes in, that sounding board is gone. That is so fascinating because I think about it from our perspective here. The biggest issue for Bill Belichick over the past five to six years has been the personnel stuff. Now, obviously, the offenses have not been good ever since Tom Brady left the organization, but they have not drafted well for years. So Arthur Blank is considering basically turning over the full personnel power to Bill as well. Like, essentially, Bill would have the same job that he had with the Patriots, with the Falcons. There's no wiggle room, I would imagine, here from Bill Belichick's perspective. Like, that's a risky proposition, especially considering the fact, how many, you mentioned earlier, how many years does he have left? So what's he coming in and say, hey, Steve will take over after I'm gone and do the same job that I'm doing? I mean, it just feels really risky. Without a without a doubt, right? And, and that's the problem you're running into. That's all Belichick knows. So all Arthur knows is Rich McKay. All Belichick knows is having complete control over every facet of the organization. And that's exactly what he wants. He's not going to come to Atlanta and report to a GM or report to a president and then report to the owner. There's no way that's going to happen. And you mentioned what he's been able to do or not do, rather, away from the football field, coach up young quarterbacks who the Falcons desperately need, whether you know, that most likely they're going to go through the draft or maybe have a free agent you know, coming to here. But from what I hear and talking to coaches and agents and guys around the league, 
Who wants to play for Bill Belichick? And who wants to coach him? Basically, everybody he has on his staff has been a lifer with him. They don't want to come in and work 20 hours a day. They want to have a little bit of a life. For agents don't want to come in here. And you mentioned what Terry Fontenot has done. I mean, he just spent $130 million on the defense. He crushed it with Jesse Bates becoming an all-pro. David Amanyata had an unbelievable year. He's drafted well, getting Tyler Algier in the fifth round. Obviously, Drake London's a stud. You know, Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson. You know, Kyle's been hurt, so there's a little uh, something going on with his knee. But, you know, Bijan's a beast. So, Terry's done a great job. He has a resume. Terry came here three years ago, right, with Arthur Smith. They were over the cap by a zillion dollars in the Matt Ryan fiasco. So basically, the first two years of Terry Fontenot's job as the GM of the Falcons, he was in charge of basically rebuilding the roster. I think the only couple guys on that 53-man roster from when he started were Jake Matthews, uh, A.J. Terrell, and um, Grady Jarrett. Other than that, he got he brought in like 48 new guys. So and to have, you know, you could say the first two years when they went 7-10, and 10, they were overachieving. I think this past year, again, with a set, another 7-10 and 10 record, they underachieved because the quarterback just let them down time and time again. That's why you and I are talking because they're looking for a, a new head coach. But, yes, I think the, the stability should be there for Terry to continue what he's doing, but there's zero chance that happens with Bill. And he mentioned it, Arthur Blank did, in his press conference when he got rid of uh, Arthur Smith, Brian, was the fact that that's still the most devastating loss, and it's going to take a time. He, we may, you know, he's thinking towards leaning towards an experienced head coach. And right now, the most experienced head coach with the most impressive resume on paper is Bill Belichick on the field. We can have another further discussion what he's been able to do off of it. And especially with the offense and the offensive, you know, the philosophies that are changing over the last few years. Is there any fear that Belichick, obviously, he's upset with the way that it ended here? No matter what they said in that press conference, him and Robert Kraft, Robert decided to move on from him. They can say it was a parting of the ways, but ultimately, Bill was fired by Robert Kraft, so Robert could promote Mayo. And if you look at Belichick, his goal here, one of his goals, and he doesn't come out and say it, but he wants to break Don Shula's record. So you look at this Falcon situation, as you mentioned, not only in free agency, but they got a lot of young talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You mentioned London and Robinson and Kyle Pitts, that they should maybe want a guy that's going to be there for a while, that wants to build things up and wants to maybe, okay, if we... and. Bill could look at this too and say, hey, I know Tampa just went to the playoffs, but and they won a playoff game, but that's a really winnable division, right? It almost reminds me of what the AFC East was for the majority of Bill Belichick's career. So he could look at this as, hey, a couple of years, I can get the record. When Atlanta, like the best thing for them, maybe, hey, let's get a coach that, hey, if we really like somebody eighth in the draft, whether it be, hey, maybe they really like Michael Penix, or hey, maybe we want to try to get up into the top three and to develop a quarterback rather than trying to just pile up wins right now like is that a concern from Atlanta's perspective that hey maybe Bill's just looking at us like hey this is his best option right now to chase down Don Shula's record he isn't going to be in it in the long haul so maybe this is yeah it's a great story it's a splashy hire but maybe it's not the best thing for the long-term health of the organization if Belichick comes here there's I would mention that there's instant credibility they haven't been on national tv other than a Thursday night game in four years so now you're on ESPN you know, Monday night football for sure, when maybe you could break the weather, maybe you get a Sunday night game, maybe in that four o'clock window because it's, it's Belichick. You know, he will draw, you know, fans just because of the name, obviously. But you mentioned the division. The NFC South is brutal. And the, what the Falcons are, the roster's there. I mean, they're a head coach and a quarterback away from beating the playoffs. So obviously, there's the head coach. So what do you do about the quarterback? But you can make that case that there are other really good coaches out there. So what can you do if you have bring a young quarterback, especially that's the route you're going to go, you know, we just saw what you guys did with a young quarterback. That did not work out at all. At all, There was no development there. That was his guy, and it failed miserably. So why not give somebody told me, like, you know, listen, Joe Brady was option 1B to Arthur Smith three years ago. So Arthur mm. got the job, but Brady was, was – was, was, he was second. He went through the process. Everybody loved him, but they thought at the time, Brian, that he was too young. Now he's got another three years' experience. We've seen what he's done with, uh, with Buffalo, with Josh Allen. They have a great relationship, uh, very much, as you saw, successful. Now, the Falcons are not going to get that type of quarterback here in next year, but that's a name to pay attention to uh, should the Falcons go non-Belichick and go uh, outside to bring somebody in who doesn't have any head coaching experience at all. Yeah, and I know Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn have been interviewed as well, but you mentioned, too, you tweeted out today that Mike Vrabel is going to be in there Wednesday. So listen, man, like I, they're doing it because I think they're do, do, they're doing their due diligence. And listen, you know, I had somebody tell me, you know, one reason they I think Vrabel will be the 14th candidate they have interviewed. 
That's a lot of Zoom hours, brother. That is a ton of time. You know, you're you're spending talking to these guys. How many of those are realistic, and how many of those opportunities, which you know, go into preparing for future opponents? So, if you played the Philadelphia Eagles this year and had a good plan against Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles are on the Falcons' schedule next year. So, you know the. Falcons, as they should, are recording all these interviews. Oh, you wanted to go zone option. You wanted to bring the corner blitz in here. You thought maybe a 3-4 defense. You're taking all these notes and learning from the best minds in the game how to prepare for future ta- uh, you know, opponents. And I honestly think that's what they're doing with Vrabel. I have told people, people have told me around the league, they don't see the fit at all. And I totally agree because he is best friends with Arthur Smith. They're the best friends. They're, they're, like, they're boys. They're brothers. They're drinking buddies. They're, I, so I just can't see his best friend getting canned and then him coming in. Cause you know, he's talking to Arthur Smith, you know, they're like, yeah, he's telling him everything about the organization, what worked, what did it, what you're getting into. And I think we could both agree by that. Mike Rabel and Arthur Smith, when they were together, they were the most successful tandem in Rabel's coaching career, right? Rabel struggled without Arthur Smith as his offensive coordinator. Arthur Smith struggled without having Rabel uh, as the guy, right? So, Arthur Smith's not coming in as the offensive coordinator for the Falcons if Vrabel gets that job. So you have him as his best friend. He ain't coming back. So I just think it's window dressing. I think they're looking. But again, Vrabel is coming in for a face-to-face tomorrow, Wednesday. Yeah, well, even if they, even if that is the case, it is credibility for whoever gets the job, right? Like, hey, we interviewed Mike Vrabel and we went with this guy. So even if it's not Belichick, it's like, hey, think about it. We interviewed Belichick, we interviewed Vrabel, and we named this guy the head coach. That's how impressive he was in the interview process. And from Vrabel's perspective, it certainly works as leverage too. Maybe if he's trying to get the commander's job, like, hey, the Falcons are really interested. So that does make sense from both sides. So maybe they're not as interested in Vrabel. So I'm fascinated to see what happens here, man. Like, Yeah, and you, and you mentioned uh, you know leverage, right? I think that's what Jim Harbaugh was doing. I, I heard you know, like he and his uh, his crew were very... Uh, I think blown away was a strong word, but they were very impressed when the Falcons brought in uh, Harbaugh's wife for the interview. She was very impressed with the professionalism and the love shown her way. But everything I've been told is that, you know, he's he's West Coast, he's Chargers. You know, that's his job to turn down. And he's maybe using the Atlanta opportunity as leverage to get out there. And the same reason the Falcons bring him in to maybe use it against Belichick. Hey, you want to make 20, 25 million a year? Well, we could get Harbaugh for 15. You got to bring your price down. So a lot of games being played, but I definitely don't see Har- I think the Harbaugh's the better hire but I just don't see him coming here. I think he goes out West. All right. So your best guess is Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Falcons in 2024. Wow. Um, I say no. I think Arthur will come to his senses knowing how much he needs Rich McKay by his side. And I think something that's not, we haven't discussed it all. So we'll discuss it here again is the transition to the future blanks running the Atlanta Falcons. Again, Arthur, 81 will be 82. There is a succession plan in place, whether it's eight months, 18 months, 28 months from now to have his son, most likely Josh, take over the Atlanta Falcons franchise and become the owner of this team. Josh is in his mid-20s. He's not ready for this right now. Everything I've heard is that Arthur Blank wants stability. So in his mind, maybe you think like, yeah, 62-year-old Bill Belichick, that's stability. He could be here 10 years. That's a great transition for my son to take over. He can learn. He can see what's going on, how the sausage is made. That is amazing. But if he's only going to be here three years, Brian, I don't. And then your first hire as the new owner of the team, you're replacing Bill Belichick and and you're 20 something. So that's a tough position to put Josh in. Is that that's the direction they go? So at the end of the day, McKay being there, the transition, uh, you know, down the road, maybe again, you know, a year, two years, three years down the line with his son. I don't think they make that play. You know, I've heard Raheem Morris's name being shot up the um, the ladder in terms of serious interest. And again, go back to Brady. Uh, Joe Brady with, you know, the interest they had with him a couple of years ago, young, offensive-minded, obviously. Those are the two guys to keep an eye on. I think if they don't go Belichick, Raheem Morris, Joe Brady, I think have the best looks right now from what I've been told. Yeah, Raheem Morris definitely deserves a second chance. Like, I know he failed early in his career, but he's been a great defensive coordinator. The Joe Brady thing, just from an entertainment standpoint, if he got hired there, it would be hilarious because it's like this young guy that's, what, 36, 37 years old. Beats out the greatest coach in the history of the NFL to get a job. Hey, Zach, before we let you go, Chris Sale, now a member of the Atlanta Braves. Vaughn Grissom, I mean, this guy had great numbers at the AAA level, young, 23, good athlete. For for our Red Sox fans here, like, was he just blocked with the Braves? Because, I mean, it looks like he's got some, like, 
good qualities to them. I mean, what what did what have you heard about like them looking at Sale? I mean, I think Sale mysteriously is going to be healthy this year because he's with right. a different team. But what do you know about Vaughn Grissom? Is he somebody the Braves are high on, but he's just sort of blocked with all the talent they have? Without question, yeah, like you're you're a victim of your own riches, right? And he just was out of a position. And you know, uh, the general manager Alex Anthopoulos is big on starting pitching, as should all teams. That's been kind of proven. We need some guys to come in, get some quality innings, and then throw it over to you know these guys that throw ninety nine, a hundred miles an hour. That's kind of like the blueprint of Major League Baseball right now. You know, they're only playing paying basically sale a million dollars this year. You know, they restructured that deal two years and thirty eight million, but they're only hooked for a million in twenty twenty four, and then they got the deal in twenty five. They got a team option for um, in twenty twenty six. So they're as you said, billing on him being healthy and you know contributing. A great culture guy, great clubhouse guy. Everybody loves him. Uh, a bulldog and definitely wants to compete for a championship. When it comes to Vaughn Grissom, man, you remember his first ever home run was at Fenway. And yeah. he, he he loves it there. Uh, fond memories for him. He's a great kid, tireless worker. You know, when he started and got sent back to the minors, he spent the offseason between 2022 and 2023 going to New Orleans with Ron Washington and spending day after day in the, in the, in the hot summer sun, you know, working on his – fielding and getting better at that and say, listen, you want me at short? I can play short. You want me at second? I can play second. I can play some outfield. So he was willing to kind of take a little bit of humble pie and do whatever it took. But, you know, the Braves, you know, they got the kid from Seattle come in. Obviously, you got Acuna and Michael Harris, you know, the rookie of the year in the outfield. Uh, there was just no position for him. And I thought, listen, let, let's let's sell it while we can get in sale. And, you know, hopefully it works out for both clubs. Yeah, I hope sale is good for them because he's a great guy. It's just, I mean, unfortunately, his body just kept betraying him, and it's a better fit. I mean, this is a stacked team that has a chance to win a World Series. The Red Sox don't right now. And with mm. Grissom, you had me at good defensively because the Red Sox were the worst defensive <laughs> team in baseball, so I'm excited about that. All right, that is Zach Klein from WSB Channel to the ABC affiliate in Atlanta. Zach, thanks so much for the time, man. The insight was awesome, and like this storyline, I'm just so intrigued by what's going on there with McKay and Belichick and Arthur Blank. Thanks so much, Zach. We really appreciate it. All right, man. All the best. Talk soon, and uh, can't wait to see how this unfolds. If you've been watching the NFL playoffs from the sidelines, there's still time to get in the game with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers bet this Sunday's conference championship games with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. I'm looking at this AFC championship game, and I know Baltimore, the three and a half point favorites, but I like the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs, they just beat the Buffalo Bills in that classic on Sunday. And this Chiefs team, until they get knocked off, I'm not betting against the Chiefs anymore. I've made that mistake. So if you want to follow my picks, go to FanDuel right now. Get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike to join today. That's FanDuel.com slash Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in president's select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to head to Atlanta and talk to Zach Klein from WSB Channel to the ABC affiliate out there in Atlanta. And we had Zach on before the Celtics and the Hawks series last year. He was awesome. And he's really dialed into the situation. The Belichick to Atlanta thing is more fascinating than I even thought it could possibly be. There's so many different dynamics to the inner workings of Arthur Blank, Rich McKay, that entire organization in terms of who wants Bill, who doesn't want Bill in Atlanta. So we're going to get into that with Zach. Zach's great. He's completely dialed into the situation. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. But where we start is with two Celtics-related notes. Okay, so the first one, let me start with this. The Celtics, as we all know, best team in the NBA. But after watching what has transpired over the last couple of days, I'm worried about a narrative, okay? The Celtics have been a legit contender in the NBA for a while now. Since Jason Tatum has entered the NBA, conference finals, conference semis, conference finals in the bubble, the loss to the Heat, of course, first round exit to the Nets, then they got it back together with Ime, went to the finals. Last year, of course, they go to the conference finals. Ultimately, they lose in game seven to the Miami Heat. But this team, with Tatum, four trips to the conference finals and a finals appearance in there. They actually made the conference finals the year before Tatum, too. 
So they've been close. They had the 2-1 lead on the Warriors in Game 4, and then Curry went nuts, right? The next season, of course, you have the whole Ime controversy, and it really felt like something, and I know they made it one win away from getting back to the finals. It felt like something was off the majority of the season, and you lose in Game 7 to that Heat team that ultimately the Celtics were more talented than. I understand that Jason Tatum was dealing with the ankle situation. Maybe they win if he doesn't turn the ankle in that particular game. But the point being is, Something always felt a little bit different that year in terms of now if you look at the coaching staff, it's all Joe Missoula hires rather than Joe Missoula taking over Ime's staff. There's just a better vibe to the team this season. But nonetheless, the Celtics have had two real chances to win an NBA championship. I mean, you could argue the bubble year too, they had a chance, but they really obviously they were in the finals against the Warriors and they had a legitimate chance last year. So the Celtics have had those two chances and they haven't been able to finish the job. And the reason I bring up a narrative over the past couple of days, I look at the Buffalo Bills and they have not been nearly as close as the Celtics, right? They've been one of the best teams though in the NFL for what, four years now, and they just can't get over the hump, right? Ever since Brady went to the Bucks, the Buffalo Bills has taken over this division and they still haven't got over the hump in terms of the playoff success. Now, 2020, they lost, of course, in the conference championship game. The next year, they lose in the divisional round a game they should have won, remember the 13 seconds, their defense blows it late, sort of like the Celtics ball in game four against the Warriors. But at that point, they clearly could have beaten the Chiefs, right? And they couldn't do it. The following season, remember, going back to last year, they were getting comparisons to the Patriots. And I'm not talking about this version of the Patriots. I'm talking about the 2007 Patriots. There was legit questions like, Hey, could this team actually run the table and go undefeated? Remember, they beat the shit out of the Rams in the first game of the season. Everybody thought, like, this is the team to beat in the NFL. Something goes weird with that team. You had the whole Diggs situation, him and Allen at the end of the season. Diggs did not seem happy. They got killed by the Bengals in the playoffs, right? And this year, have a chance. You finally get the Chiefs at home. Can't get it done. You don't hit the late field goal, of course. Diggs can't make that catch down the field, right? So it's just a mess. And... The Bills have had a great team, but they haven't finished the job. So what has happened over the past few days here, this has now turned into not a Bills conversation, it's turned into a Josh Allen conversation. You look at that game he threw for a buck 86, under five yards per attempt, the first time that's happened all season long, that he's been under five yards per attempt. So he's being criticized. Just like Tatum was getting a ton of criticism, Jalen to a lesser extent, but Tatum got a ton of criticism for his bad series against the Warriors. And Tatum was horrible in that series. I'm not defending him. His two-point percentage was atrocious. So here's the connection. Josh Allen is a top-five quarterback of the NFL. I, I don't even think that's an argument, right? You think about, obviously, Mahomes is the best guy doing it. You could have Lamar ahead of Josh Allen. He's about to win his second MVP. Allen's had a little bit more playoff success than Lamar Jackson. But okay, so if you want to put Lamar ahead of him, who else could you possibly put ahead of him? Burrow? because Burroughs had playoff success. So at worst, he's like the fourth best quarterback in the NFL. He's unquestionably a top five guy. You can't put Herbert over him because Herbert has not won enough games, okay? You look at Jason Tatum, he's for sure a top 10 player in the NBA, and you could make an argument a top five guy. Remember, he's been first team All-NBA the past two seasons. But even if you say, oh, he's not top five, he's top 10. Okay, Allen has played on loaded teams, right? You look at his cap hit this past season, 18.6. It goes up to 47 million next season. It becomes much more difficult to win that way in the NFL. You think about Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, they're great safeties. Those guys are getting older. Tredavious White is now coming back from another injury. Stephon Diggs, he had his last 100-yard game on the 15th of October. So he was not the same guy this season. Now, they have some good young players. Dalton Kincaid is a stud. James Cook's a really good player. But... Those other guys are going to age, as we mentioned. Can you replace them? Like, they've had some great moves. They've also had some bad moves. The Von Miller move was horrible for them. And they're going to get Matt Milano back. So they're still going to have a good team. But the point of this is, it's a lot easier to plug these holes when Josh Allen was cheaper. When Josh Allen was in a $47 million cap hit, right? Now, Josh Allen is still awesome. And the Bills are still legit contenders. And the Bills can still win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen and that team. Like, Josh Allen can still do it. Their window is not shut or nothing along those lines. But the point is, Burrow isn't going anywhere. He comes back next season healthy. Mahomes isn't going anywhere. 
Okay, the Ravens aren't going anywhere with Lamar Jackson. Did Allen miss his chance, his best chance in 2021 and in 2022 when he had his best teams? Odds are he's not going to play with a better team than he has over the past couple of years. Now, Allen could be better and elevate the franchise to a Super Bowl, right? Like Brady won championships with lesser teams than another season. So he has that opportunity. He can still do it. I'm not one of these people that thinks that Josh Allen can never win anything big. I certainly do. But the point being, it's going to be more difficult, right? Like Josh Allen is going to have to go to a different level, okay? Another level. Josh Allen could have his best season ever and they could win a championship. My point is, it just gets more difficult. And that's where I make the comparison to Tatum. When we look at Tatum, he's still pre-prime. But when you look at Tatum's team, now he will get better. Jason Tatum is pre-prime. Tatum is going to take another step as these years go on. But this is the most talented team. This version of the Celtics right now, the team that Jason Tatum is playing on, this is the most talented team. This is the best team, top to bottom, that he will ever play on. Okay, I mean, excluding like Team USA. You get what I'm saying? Celtics. This is the best team he'll ever play on. Now, if you look at this Celtics team, he will be better in the future, right? And they could still win a championship in the future with a lesser team if Tatum continues to get better and elevate his game, right? Just like Josh Allen can still win a championship in Buffalo even if the team is not as good because he gets to a different level, just like Tatum could get to another level. But if you look at this Celtics team and you think about the questions going forward, they already have Jalen on a Supermax, okay? Tatum is about to get his after this season. Kristaps Porzingis is in his 28-year-old season. He's a 7'2 big man with a large injury history. Now, they've kept him relatively healthy this year, and they just, they're being ultra-cautious with him. I've told you multiple times, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But he's shooting a career-high on twos, a career-high in effective field goal percentage, a career-high in true shooting percentage, right? He's having his most efficient season as an NBA player. And you just know, knock on wood, what the health is going to be long-term with Chris Stops. Derek White, I'd expect to stay at this level for a couple of years. They're going to extend him. I mean, I can't imagine them letting Derek White get away. But you look at a guy like Drew Holiday, for example, who is having a really good season. He, though, is in his 33-year-old season. And he's going to need an extension if the Celtics give him an extension after the season. Like, there is a possibility that Holiday is not with the organization next year. I hope he is. I'm just saying that could be a possibility. Drew, we've seen at times, hasn't looked quite the same as he did the past few years. He's still having a great season, but I'm just pointing out the fact that Drew Holiday, this is probably the best version of Drew Holiday the Celtics are going to get because he's in his 33-year-old season. So he's at a different point in his career. You look at your sixth man in Al Horford. He's a 37-year-old center who is shooting the shit out of it right now. 41.5% from deep, but he's 37. And look, I get it. Al takes great care of his body. He is aged unbelievably well, but we have seen, and look, they've done a great job taking minutes off him. But the other thing I would say is we've seen in the last two postseasons, he's worn down, okay? So the point being is knock on wood for injuries, okay? I know it sounds dramatic, but this is the most talented team that he is ever going to play on when we're talking about Jason Tatum. This is the best chance, okay, based on roster construction. I get it. Two years ago, they were two wins away from a championship. But based on roster construction, based on the talent around Jason Tatum, this is the best team and the best chance he's had to win a championship, okay? And if you think about it, like I said, None of this is impossible after the season for Tatum to win a championship. He could at one point be a top three player in the NBA, right? But if you think about what's going to happen if they don't cash in, sure, Joe Missoula will get some criticism if they lose, okay? But it feels like what's happened in Buffalo now, this has turned on Josh Allen, okay? Not to say that Buffalo fans don't appreciate and love Josh Allen. I'm just saying like the narrative, the talking heads, it's now, hey, can Josh Allen win the big game? Can Josh Allen, can you win it with Josh Allen? If Tatum loses in the playoffs this year and say he gets outplayed by Giannis or Embiid, now he's outplayed Embiid multiple times in postseason series, but you get the point. If he gets outplayed by Giannis and they lose and Giannis is just significantly better or they get to the finals and Jokic is just significantly better, the conversation is going to turn is, hey, can he get to that level? Is Tatum really on that ultra superstar level, right? And like I said, he's outplayed a lot of stars in the postseason before, but this is a chance this season 
you finish the job and you get rid of that opening where it can be the Josh Allen conversation about, hey, maybe Mahomes is just that much better than, and look, Mahomes is better than Josh Allen, but you get the point. It's like, maybe he just doesn't have it to win a championship. Maybe he's just not the guy that everybody thought. Maybe there needs to be changes in Buffalo. Those are the conversations that come up if the Celtics don't break through this year because this is a loaded roster, right? And so I don't mean to sound like over the top or anything along those lines. And to the Celtics' credit, they've supported him more than any other team in the NBA. You look across every roster across the league, up and down, nobody has more support in terms of players and coaches. Like, think about Sam Cassell coming in and helping him with his post game. Nobody has more support right now than Jason Tatum has. And so I just, I don't want to look at this and say, hey, the Celtics have a short window. No, they don't. Uh, my point is just, injuries happen. Guys age. Contractually, you're going to have to make difficult situations with some of the top six players on this team right now. This is your best chance to lock in and finish the job. And ultimately, I think the Celtics can clearly do it. I believe the Celtics can do it. It just, is this the year that they push through? I would also mention too, just like a slight digression. Once you get that championship, like, Tatum's not, not that I think Tatum's any sort of a flight risk, but like the Dwayne Wade thing, when Dwayne Wade won early in his career, right, in what, his third year in the NBA, he, and look, it's Miami, so it's a great place to live and all that, but it's like, okay, he's never leaving, like he's the face of the Miami Heat. Tatum really has this unbelievable opportunity to be what Tom Brady was for so many years. Now, not to that extent where Brady's winning six Super Bowls and all that, but he gets one, he's already the face of sports here. I mean, number two, we did this in the summer, we're doing our top fives, like, David Pasternak is number two on that list right now for me. By the way, he's like plus 1,000 on FanDuel to win the hard trophy. I think that's a pretty good bet behind Nathan McKinnon and Nikita Kucherov. I mean, those guys are ahead of him right now in terms of points and by like 10 points. But I mean, that's a good bet. Anyway, I got sidetracked there. But anyway, the point being is Tatum is ultimately the guy here. You win a championship, like everybody loves you for the rest of your life. So I just, I hope they break through this year because I don't want that Josh Allen narrative coming in with Tatum. So anyway... One other note, you know I fear the Heat. That's why I was so pumped when they lost to Atlanta last year because I didn't want the Celtics to play the Heat in the first round. Now, ultimately, of course, they got them in the conference finals anyway, but I always fear the Heat because they have the best coach of the NBA and Eric Spolster. The guy's unbelievable. And they add Terry Rozier on Wednesday, okay? Now, Scary Terry has been playing in a lot of irrelevant games since he left the Celtics for Charlotte. He had some great moments, of course. We all know for the Celtics in the playoffs. You think about 2018, the run they went on when Kyrie was hurt and Gordon Hayward was hurt. 29 points in game one against the Sixers at seven threes. He had three 20-point games in the series against Milwaukee, including a 26-9 and in the closeout game. And he had that whole back and forth with Eric Bledsoe where Terry accidentally called Eric Bledsoe Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe showed up for a game. So that whole thing was fun. And I know he had the dud in Game 7, where he went 0 of 10 from deep against Cleveland. But the point being, he was good for the Celtics in that playoff run. And remember how much Terry Rozier sort of soaked up that postseason atmosphere, right? Dude is a competitor. He's not scared of the moment whatsoever. So I believe he's going to be fired up just to play relevant basketball again and join a contending team like Miami. And look, Terry has not been a good defender throughout his career. Now, prior to 18-19, the final season he was with the Celtics, prior to that season, the Celtics were better with Terry on the court than off the court defensively. Every year since then, his teams have been worse with him on the court defensively. Or I should say, yeah, they've been better when he's off the court defensively than on the court. In fact, this season, Charlotte is 5.9 points per 100, worse defensively with Terry Rozier on the court. That is in the 13th percentile via cleaning the glass. So, I get it, like, I don't think he's ever going to be a great defender, but I don't look at it as like this lack of, if he goes to Miami, I don't think he can't be capable on that end of the floor, right? It's not like he has all these limitations as a defender. He's still a super athletic guy at six foot two, and Spolster's dealt with this before in terms of guys that aren't great defenders. I mean, think about this. Duncan Robinson played at least 20 minutes in two of the Heat's four wins over the Celtics in that series last year so they can find a way and I don't think Terry's a guy now if they play the Celtics in a postseason series Tatum and Jalen are going to target Terry Rozier we saw it the other night in that Nuggets game they were looking and they were seeking out the smaller defenders we saw it a lot in the Mavericks game 
as well. So I'm not telling you he's like this great defender, but I don't think his defense is going to be a massive problem in Miami, especially considering he's going to the best coach in the NBA. And then what Terry brings to them is what they need, offense. Miami is ranked 20th in the NBA in offensive rating this season. They need a boost. And with Terry, he's a bucket getter. You look at these numbers via cleaning the glass. 92 of 183 on mid-rangers, that's 50.3%. That's in the 86th percentile. Now, he has struggled at the rim, 28th percentile. But the pick-and-roll numbers have been fantastic with Rozier. 1.11 points per possession, okay, Only Tyrese Halliburton has been better than that on a minimum of 150 attempts, okay? Tyrese Halliburton, then Terry Rozier. Like Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the pick-and-roll ball handler, 1.07. Again, Terry, 1.11. You look at Murray, 1.06. Devin Booker, 1.05. His effective field goal percentage as a pick-and-roll ball handler is 58.2%. And you say, well, why is that so important? The 1.11 points per possession as a pick-and-roll ball handler, because you think about half-court offense. The best half-court offense in the NBA is a 107.2 rating. So Terry Rozier is a pick-and-roll ball handler. That's in the half-court, 1.11 points per possession, and he's going to be doing it with better personnel. Bam is going to be setting screens for Terry Rozier. Like, it's a perfect fit when it comes to that perspective offensively. And then you look at his numbers from a pull-up three perspective, 57 of 145, 39.3%. He can fill it up, man. And then you look at the numbers when LaMelo was out. 18 games he played when LaMelo went down with that injury. 25 points per game, 39.2% from three, and 7.4 assists, okay? Anyone the Heat get, I immediately get scared, but this does feel like a good fit. Now, the one thing that you now have a question about in Miami is the fit between Tyler Hero and Terry Rozier. Because obviously, you don't want to put those guys out together in a defensive lineup. You do wonder, hmm, do they have another move that they're planning on making with Tyler Hero? Because we know Bam and, of course, Jimmy Butler are the two pillars of that organization. Could they move Hero to get somebody else into the equation as well? I Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I really do like this move for the Heat. It has me a little bit worried here. And I'm not saying, like, Terry Rogier is the best player in the NBA or a top 10 player in the NBA. I do feel like he fits perfectly with this team. And they were getting nothing out of Kyle Lowry. And I know they gave up a first round pick in this thing, but I think it's a really good move for Miami. Oh, the other note in the East, Adrian Griffin, I'm sure you know by now, he was fired on Wednesday by the Milwaukee Bucks. 43 games, they're 30 and 13. This guy's out. And I'm not telling you he's a great coach. I mean, he was a liability for them. They're 22nd in defensive rating. I think one of the things that happened to him is, remember, he was hired before the Damian Lillard trade, and he had this new scheme that he wanted to play similar to what they do, or they did in Toronto with Nick Nurse, because he came off Nick Nurse's staff, and they wanted to put more pressure on the ball, blitz, try to get turnovers. The problem is when you trade for Dame, you can't really do that. Dame is one of the worst defenders in the NBA, so they had to go back to what they did with Budenholzer, a lot of drop coverage and all that. So it was difficult from that perspective, but he needed to adjust quicker and it took his players telling him to do that there was also some weird thing at the beginning of the season remember they had hired Terry Stotts as their main assistant or their lead assistant and he just leaves prior to the season which that is kind of a weird situation Uh, I've heard KOC talk about on his pod a bunch that they don't run enough to aim in Giannis pick and roll like that's been a topic of conversation across the NBA landscape if you will that they don't do that nearly enough considering how good and dangerous both those guys are. So he certainly had his issues. And Chris Mannix reported that Giannis lost faith in him, which is obviously a really big concern. If your superstar loses faith in you, you probably can't coach the team anymore. So it does feel like, yeah, this is early, but ultimately it's probably the right move for this organization. Like you can't have this guy just trying to work through all these things when they're having all these problems. And if the best player doesn't trust you, remember Giannis had that huge outburst a couple of weeks ago where He said everybody needs to be better, including like the team manager. Now, I think, or the equipment guys, whatever it was, you get the point. It's like Giannis has been really upset with this situation, even though I think Giannis kind of had a say in who the coach is going to be. Like, imagine like Nick Nurse was one of their guys that they were looking at. Look at what Nick Nurse has done for Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey. That group has been incredible with Nick Nurse. And they could add Nick Nurse, who's a proven championship coach. Instead, they took his assistant. They didn't take Nick Nurse. So... Giannis, the thing I find funny about Giannis is like everybody has this perception, oh, 
He plays so hard. He's different than all these other superstars in the NBA. Well, what we're finding out is he's kind of a diva too. He just got the coach fired, even if the coach sucks. The coach that apparently he was on board with prior to the season. And oh, by the way, his brother takes up a roster spot. Hey, he, he, I'm sure he's a great brother. But like everybody gets on all these other superstars in the NBA when coaches get fired and all this, right? Like LeBron gets a ton of criticism and LeBron's getting criticism for like ultimately wanting to play with his kid. Well, Giannis has had his brother on the roster for how many years now? Guy just takes up a roster spot. He can't play. The guy stinks. He's not an NBA player. The only reason he's in the NBA is because of his brother and he's taking up a roster spot. So I find that to be funny that Giannis gets this reputation. Oh, everybody loves Giannis. He plays so hard. Well, finding out he's kind of a diva too. Now, ultimately, it's probably the right move, like I said for them. Now, Joe Prunty is taking over as the interim. He was actually the interim head coach of the Bucks before when the Celtics beat them in that series I mentioned with Terry Rozier. I do wonder, like, has anybody been the interim head coach of the same team twice? Because that's just, that's amazing to me. Like, he went to Atlanta for a couple of years, or of course, he was with Atlanta, coached under Budenholzer. Then he was on the staff after that. He was interim coach in Atlanta once, so now he's the interim coach of the Bucks again. Now, one thing I don't want to see, Shams reports that Doc Rivers is a candidate. I don't want to see Doc coaching the Bucks, man. Like, yeah, that would bring some juice to the rivalry, but I don't want to see Doc coaching against the Celtics. I mean, we went through that last year. I don't want to see that. Plus, he's on the boss's pod all the time. We don't want that. And Doc is supposed to call his first NBA Finals this year, and now he's just going to be gone. I don't want Doc to go there. I really don't. Okay. Anyway, pretty amazing stuff here that... And look, you understand why, like, you understand the idea behind this, but the fact that a guy is 30 and 13, has his team second in the East, and I understand all the underlying problems, it's just crazy to me that now he's out. I'm not saying that they didn't make the right move, and in the end, it's going to be the right thing. It's just wild to think about. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, though, Zach Klein from WSB Channel 2 in Atlanta will join us. We'll get into... This whole situation with Bill Belichick and the Falcons. Some really juicy details here. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Zach Klein. Really enjoyed talking with Zach. This situation is just amazing. Cannot wait to see what ends up happening in Atlanta one way or the other. I mean, I do think that I want Bill to be the coach somewhere next year, and he hasn't interviewed anywhere else, so I'd like him now at this point to end up in Atlanta. Like, I want Bill to be relevant next year, but maybe if he doesn't get there, I talked about it. I've talked about it before on the pod. Maybe it is kind of the best situation because they don't have a quarterback. But man, crazy situation in Atlanta. Okay, we do have time for a call and a couple of emails. So let's get to the call first. That number is 617-396-7172. Hi, Brian. It's Matt from California. I'm just calling concerning the uh, comments by Sam Kennedy and Tom Warner yesterday at the Winter Weekend meeting. Uh, to say is a 30-year-long 30 30 Red Sox fan, probably the most discouraging uh, day in quite a while, even on and off the field as a Red Sox fan. I just don't know how you could watch the last two years of Red Sox baseball and say, hey, you know what? Let's continue on this path. We're good. The 24 team is just going to be is going to be better than any of the others. And I just can't see that going forward, which brings me to uh, – your boss's comments uh, last year, Bill Simmons, uh, concerning the ownership group uh, of the Red Sox and how they're looking to cut salary to uh, make the Red Sox more of an appeasing uh, asset to sell uh, concerning trying to buy uh, the franchise in Las Vegas that should be on the market in a year or two. 
And after yesterday, I couldn't agree with them more that I do believe that the uh, Red Sox will be sold either uh, probably not at the end of this year, uh, but probably after next year in their uh, in their process of trying to uh, buy the uh, Las Vegas franchise. And you know what? It's probably for the better uh, if you're just not in it uh, to win, if you're treating the Red Sox as an asset to sell, to get money to buy another fran- another franchise, then it is what it is. They gave us, uh, you know, 20 years, uh, multiple World Series. But if you're just not going to spend money to win, I just don't believe that you should be the owners of the Red Sox. Uh, Brian, thanks, man, and have a great day. Bye. All right, great call. A couple of points to that. So the first one I'd say is, yeah, Bill's been on the Fenway Sports Group is going to try to get the Las Vegas team for – a while now and of course it looks like the other city is going to be seattle so it'd be seattle and las vegas and of course with the fenway sports group the connection to lebron they could have lebron be sort of the face of that group when lebron ultimately retires and gets into the ownership world and goes after the las vegas team with john henry and fenway sports group right so i totally understand where you're coming from with that the one thing i will say though is I hope you're right. Like, if things continue to go in this direction as it pertains to the ownership group and the way that they've handled things over the past two to three years, if they're going to continue to do it this way, I hope they sell the team because it's just, it's not acceptable from an ownership that have been so good for so long. It's not acceptable to do it this way, right? To lie to the fan base, to say full throttle and do all the stuff they haven't done, right? And then try to convince us that's not what ultimately they meant. So if that's the case, then I hope they do sell the team. But I just don't think they will. I think that still, like, I don't think they're so they're still making money and they they own other teams too, like the Penguins. And this isn't a unique situation. Different fan bases have been mad with the Fenway Sports Group too. So I I just, I don't think that that'll happen. I think ultimately they'll, (laughs) they'll keep the Red Sox, they'll keep all their other business assets, and they'll buy the Las Vegas team. Like, I, I, I don't think that they will. I hope they do. Like, I hope they do. If they're going to, I'll say this, like if they continue to go in this direction, please give it to somebody else that wants to win right now, because I can't handle the situation the way that it's been over the past few years. Okay. Let's bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. We'll get to a couple of emails here. Jamie, what's up, man? Uh, I'm good, Brian. I'm good. Even regardless of that, a uh, little depressing Red Sox talk, but otherwise I'm good. Yeah. A lot of Red Sox, man. A lot of juicy nuggets with that team but we'll see i mean we'll see lebron and the fenway sports group buying the las vegas team it seems like that's inevitable but i don't think it means the red sox will sell the team or excuse me that the fenway sports group unfortunately will sell the team all right let's get to a couple of emails here that email address is off the pike at gmail.com what do we got jamie well this might be wishful thinking brian but this is from tyler about the red sox pitching staff he writes is it me or would signing blake snell turn the red sox into a slightly above average mlb rotation you'd have snell Giolito, bayo Carter crawford and pivetta and then you'd have Garrett whitlock hauk and winkowski waiting in the wings as depth why is this so hard he's just sitting there waiting for someone to meet his asking price go and do it yeah so the snell situation i don't know how many years he's looking for i do agree that it could solve your issues the one issue that snell has had throughout his career and well he's had two issues throughout his career and i know i'm talking about a guy that has won what two cy youngs and he clearly be the best pitcher on the red sox right now i think the issues that he has first of all is he walks the ballpark he was the past couple of years, he's been last or second to last mm-hmm. in walk rate. Him and Dylan Cease, they're both good pitchers, but he does tend to walk the ballpark, and sometimes he has trouble going deep into games. But the bigger concern with Snell, if you're going to give him a long-term deal, is his health. Like, he's dealt with some health issues, and you wonder mm. if he can hold up, right? Like, I mean, that's the issue with signing him to a big, massive contract. So, yeah, I'm, like... on paper, I've always thought, even though Snell has the much higher upside as a pitcher... I've always thought that Montgomery made more sense from a fit perspective just because he's a healthy guy, he's going to eat up innings. But at this point, it doesn't feel like either one of those guys is going to be with the Red Sox. And I do think that, honestly, like if Heim was here, maybe there would be more interest in Blake Snell just because of the Tampa Bay connection. I mean, we'll see here. But it just, look, he has one of the best sliders in the game, one of the best curveballs in the game. He has an incredible fastball. 
and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. If the Red Sox sign him, I'm all in. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I, what about year five and year six? I, I'd be all in. I've said multiple times they need a starting pitcher. So from my perspective, I would love that. But in terms of trying to explain why they haven't gone after him, those would be my guesses. Worried about the right. health, worried about the consistency and throwing strikes. That's been an issue for him. And then, hey, can he take on the big market, right? He was in Tampa. He was in... San Diego, could he take on the big market of pitching with the Red Sox? With the Red Sox, it is interesting though because I believe, and I'll check here, but I believe that he is also a Scott Boris client, which I know that Uh-oh. that is a lot of guys in Major League Baseball. But but the reason I bring that up is, yeah, he's a Boris guy because if you think about it from this perspective, the two biggest pitchers on the market right now since Yamamoto is, of course, already signed to sign yep. with the Dodgers. The two biggest guys out there are Jordan Montgomery and of course Blake Snell. Snell may be waiting to see like, hey, what does Montgomery get? But it is a weird situation. I mean, this is a guy that just won the Cy Young and he's still out there. I know sometimes baseball moves slow and Scott Boris tends to move slow. Remember JD signed like right before the yeah. season and when he Very story to too, right? I mean, yeah, Dave Dombrowski basically like stared down Boris, because Boris is trying to make it sound like, oh, he's got another option. And I was like, no, he really doesn't. Like, this is where he's going to go. And ultimately, Dave Dombrowski signed JD to a really good contract. So we may have to wait a while with Snell. But Snell or Montgomery, I'd be happy with either one of those guys, even if the contract looks bad in the final three seasons. I don't give a shit. That's baseball nowadays. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, baseball, Susan. I'm, I'd be down too. It's just, it's funny, like, speculating about what are they going to do? What are they not? Well, we, we know what they're going to do because Sam Kennedy said, we're not going to be signing these guys, basically. I mean, he said the payroll's going to go down. So I don't know how the payroll goes down if you sign a Cy Young guy. Like, the, I don't know. So I feel like they, they made it very clear that they're not going to sign these guys. Maybe, maybe they get a huge discount in, you know, March 1st. These guys are still hanging around. So it seems like no one wants to pay them what they're asking for. So I guess it's possible, but I'm, I'm going to take them at their word when they say, we're going to be cutting costs. That usually doesn't entail signing a big free agent pitcher, right? Yeah, Sam Kennedy's had an awful offseason. I'd suggest that he stops talking. We complain about them not talking. Sam Kennedy should just stop at this point because he it's, continues to step in it. It's just crazy. He's like, you guys are all liars when you say that we're not trying hard enough. But like in the same press conference, he says, but we're probably going to slash payroll. It's like, well, what does that mean if... How are we supposed to interpret that except that you're not going to be trying harder? No, you can't. You you, you can't explain what he says. I mean, yeah. none of the stuff that he says makes sense. He he, Him and Tom Warner both got caught up in lies. <laughs> like, they both legitimately yeah. lied. Like, it's it's unbelievable to me. So, yeah, I just, I can't hear anything those guys say anymore. I really can't. Yeah. And just a side note, Brian, is um they got to fix this free agency thing in baseball. It's getting crazy how it takes like six months long. It's like the NBA day one, day two, it's like fireworks, bang, bang, bang. And sometimes baseball, I feel like they, they don't get it in terms of an entertainment standpoint. Like they improved like in the pace of play, et cetera. Yeah. I think it, they got to shorten this up. Yeah. The old school hot stove was fun. Mm-hmm. Go back to that. Yeah, that was fun. But yeah, I mean, Scott Boris, like it's tough when you have like, fucking half the players every year like, I mean, dude he's got like all the big name guys every year it's like yeah hold on uh i'm gonna discuss this guy then we'll go to this guy it's like oh wait this guy isn't a boris client come on down let's 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 talk guys come on let's do it he must be getting up there in age. he's 71 brian so he can't do this forever so maybe we just gotta wait him out yeah same age as bill that's true um all right well let's let's move on to signing your pastors brian we, we got this from barry this is just a and metric man, FYI, he says, he says, hey, Brian, seems as if the Bucks and the 76ers are regularly playing crap teams while the Celtics schedule has been much harder. So I decided to check it out. If we can agree that the Pistons, Wizards, Hornets, Spurs and Trailblazers represents the dregs of the league, uh, then after the completion of tonight's games, he meant uh, Monday's games, the Bucks will mm-hmm. have played 10 games against these five opponents and the Sixers will have also played 10 games against these opponents while the Celtics have only played five. Uh, what do you make of that? And obviously what do you make of that is that uh, should be easier for the Celtics going forward, right? Yeah, they, the Celtics have played a more difficult schedule, and I believe they have one of the easiest schedules in the second half of the season. I believe at last check, they had the second easiest schedule mm. the remainder of the season, and the Bucks had one of the easiest schedules in the first half of the season. And the Celtics have a couple of stretches coming up that now 
Thursday night, they play Miami. Obviously, we all know that. Oh, man, I just thought about that. Terry Rozier. Is that his first game as a member of the Miami Heat? Yeah, I guess be he'll be playing. The Celtics? Yeah, we think he'll be playing. And then you have the Clippers on Saturday. So this is a nice little two-day stretch or mm-hmm. two-game stretch. But then after that, the Pacers, who, or I should say New Orleans, the Pacers, and the Lakers. So that's okay. Those are those five games pretty difficult. But then you go Memphis, Atlanta, Washington, at Miami again, then two with Brooklyn and one against Chicago. So there's a bunch of stretches here yeah. that the Celtics have really easy games. Like, for example, they go... Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, Atlanta, New Orleans, Charlotte. Jeez. Like some really easy games. And then they they play, they still have a game with Portland left. Like, yeah, their schedule is going to be. And look, they're already doing it where they're managing minutes. And now it's going to be even easier here in the second half of the season. I'm just interested to see now, like, what happens with this Milwaukee situation. Because I think it's a lot, like, there have been comparisons to David Blatt. I saw Raheem tweet about this on Wednesday. I saw the NBA show, NBA Today. They were talking about the David Blatt comparison. The difference there is, like, when they fired David Blatt, Ty Lue was the coach. Right. So he was already there, and you promote him from where he becomes the interim coach, wins the championship. Ty Lue is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Like, after Spolstra, Ty Lue may be number two on the list. He has a ring. Dagnall's had an outstanding season, doesn't have a ring yet. We know Malone's a really good coach, but Ty Lue, like for a playoff series, I'd probably rather have Ty Lue than any of those other guys besides Spolstra. But the point with this Bucks thing, it doesn't feel like Prunty's going to be the coach for the rest of the season. As we mentioned earlier, like Doc's name right. is already floating out there. It's much different to bring in a coach from the outside and bring him in because you can still use some of the... Now, obviously, Lue made changes in Cleveland, but it's a lot different with like the terminology that guys may have like doc may have to catch up to what they're doing and they may have to catch up to what doc wants to do terminology and all that so i think that's more difficult even if it's what's in the best interest of the organization i think this situation is more difficult than the situation ty lewis put into i just i have a very hard time imagining this going well for the bucks like you say in the best interest like how how is this going to work switching the coach halfway through the year well, if the superstar is that pissed that he doesn't think he doesn't have any faith in him whatsoever, then you got to make a change. But I would also say, like, Giannis was one of the guys that was like, obviously had some say, not yeah. that he was the ultimate decision maker, but they obviously run this by Giannis. Definitely. Right. They obviously just like the Dame trade, they obviously run this stuff because he's talked about the Dame trade. They obviously run this stuff by Giannis. And Giannis approved. What did you, Giannis just have like no information on the guy? No. Like Nick Nurse literally was there, like was one of the guys they were considering. The other guy was Kenny Atkinson, who I thought did a really good job in Brooklyn. And then remember, he had that like that spunky, that sparky team before Durant right. and Kyrie yeah. went there and they made the playoffs. Like D'Angelo Russell was an all star <laughs> with Kenny Atkinson yeah. somehow. And he's been on Steve Kerr's bench for a couple of years. Of course, he was on that staff when they won the championship a couple of years ago he was another finalist for that job who's gotten more with less than a lot of other coaches in the league right so I just I think about it from that perspective and I say like you guys and even if you say well at the time they didn't know that they were going to get Dame okay Mm -hmm. well your team was still Giannis Brooke Lopez Chris Middleton these guys had won a championship before and they're older players so you're still trying to win a championship and you had a coach in Nick Nurse that had yeah. won a championship as a head coach and you had a guy in Kenny Atkinson that was at least a proven good NBA coach, right? That had just worked for one of the best coaches in the league in Steve Kerr and you guys went with the in, the assistant that has, of course, never been mm-hmm. a coach before, right? And look, sometimes you hire an assistant, he ends up being an outstanding coach, right? He ends up being the best, one of the best coaches. I get all that. I get how it works, but it's just like, that was a weird hire at the time, I felt. No, it's, it's it's a terrible look, I think, for the organization. It's really bad. I mean, you fire the guy after 43 games. Like, I just, it's crazy. I, I love this about the NBA that I was just reading an article about in ESPN. That they like 30 and 13 bucks. This is the, the highest winning percentage since what you mentioned, the David Blatt and the Cavs. Like, I love how this isn't even <laughs> the highest winning percentage of a coach getting fired. Like, Can you imagine in the NFL or MLB a coach getting fired with like a 600 winning percentage or something? Yeah, when he's barely even coached. Ridiculous. Like he's barely even been there. Like, yeah. man, it's we absolutely wild. We were hoping wild. for like a 900 winning percentage, actually. Sorry, you're out. 
It's crazy, man. And they just recently beat the Celtics. And I know the yeah. Celtics like second night of a back-to-back. And I get it. Like, their defense just looks absolutely atrocious. I do wonder, though, like, is there going to be a coach that can fix that? Like, they're going to make Dame good at defense? With 40 Middleton, games? Yeah, Middleton does not look the same. Like, they, they're like, old. Brooke Lopez is a good rim protector. Giannis is a good defender. Giannis isn't a one-on-one guy, though. He's more of a help defender. And that's... And that's that's not an indictment on Giannis. Like he can cover guys, obviously. I'm not saying that. It's just you much rather have him be that roamer, like we talked about all those years with Robert Williams. But and look, I get it. Schematically, the defense he trotted out at the beginning of the season, like when they're running around trapping guys, it makes no sense. When you have a lumbering guy in Brooke Lopez that's one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, like you kind of want him in the drop coverage. You don't want him up there like trying to take on the ball handler, right? Even coming to the level, like you don't want him doing that. You want him hanging back in the paint. So I understand like that was completely a miscalculation when they got Dame, he should have said, okay, we're we're not going to do this. And I don't even think that would have been a good plan with the roster they had with Drew Holiday, et cetera, because you still have Brooke Lopez. So it didn't make sense to begin with. But even with all that, like it's more of a personnel issue they have now Mm -hmm. more so than anything else. Like they don't have Drew Holiday anymore. Like, sure, they're going to be better offensively because they have Giannis. Well, they had Giannis already, but they have Dame. Like, sure. Dame is incredibly dangerous, way more dangerous than Drew as an offensive player. But they're going to have limitations defensively, and they can't really upgrade because they don't have picks, and they're already an expensive team. So they're already in trouble when it comes to that. I don't think whoever the new coach is is fixing that defense. No. It's an interesting point you make, though. They're very much in win-now mode with an aging roster. It's an odd, odd time to pick a green head coach in the first place bizarre like yeah. okay we're in win now mode yeah, let's hire a guy that's never done it. it's just weird especially consider like be one thing if like nobody was available but nick nurse was yeah. legitimately available okay and who knows maybe nick nurse would doc rivers is available the sixers. <laughs> yeah doc rivers available that's a good point all right jamie good stuff man thank you brian all right as always make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172 email your thoughts and questions to off the pike at gmail.com thanks to jamie mcclellan and steve sturdy for producing this podcast and we'll talk in a couple of days Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.